0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and I'd like you to look down at uh, one verse, verse number 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 6, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, for I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. The Apostle Paul is writing here in the book of 2 Timothy, and it is um, accepted by most people that this is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and this is the, the, the end of his sayings, the last chapter and the last letter, and he's getting ready to die, and he knows that his time is near, and he's, and he's writing to Timothy, and I want you to notice that there in verse number 6, he says this, he says, for I'm for I now ready to be offered, and then he says this, and the time of my departure is at hand, and the truth of the matter is that even though he really was getting ready to depart at that time. Uh, the truth is that all of us could say that at any given time in our lives, that the time of our departure is at hand. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. And the truth of the matter is that our lives are but a vapor. The Bible says it appears for a little time and vanisheth away. And any time, we, uh, the departure, our departure is at hand. We, we will die and depart from this world one day, And when he says that statement, the time of the departure is at hand, that's a great statement. But what's even a better statement or what's a greater statement is what he says right before that. Because if you look at verse 6, notice what he says. He says, for I am now ready. He says, for I am now ready to be offered. And what you need to understand is that this is the goal that you and I must attempt to live in the Christian life, to be able to come to the end of our lives and say, "I am now ready to be offered," and the time of my departure is at hand. We've been—we started a series last week on the subject of the victorious Christian life. If you remember last week, the sermon was entitled, uh, you know, "Destined for Victory." We were talking about how. God has already made us victors. We've already won the victory. We're already conquerors uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. In this sermon, I want to talk to you about this idea of defining victory. And I, I'm having just a little bit of trouble hearing myself, Brother Terry. I'm sorry. You can just push, put me up a little bit. Um, I want to talk to you about defining victory and what it means to win in the Christian life. And if you're, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write a few statements down, and I'm going to give you a statement here in a moment, and I'll help you out with that. But I want you to understand this is kind of the idea, and this is something I, I think I picked up from the military. I don't remember where I picked this up, but I remember it, it was said, I want to say it was in the Air Force, they would tell us, Objectives clarify operations. Objectives clarify operations. And what that means is this when you've got a, an objective, when you have a goal, when you have a stated mission, this is what you're trying to accomplish. That objective will tell you, that mission statement will clarify for you what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Because the truth of the matter is that life gets cluttered, and life gets busy, and life gets distracting. And sometimes you need to kind of have that clear goal. You need to have that, you know, objective, that one thing that you're trying to accomplish in life, to be able to clarify what it is that you're actually supposed to be doing to be able to accomplish that goal. And we see that the Apostle Paul, here in this passage, he says for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand and you want to ask the Apostle Paul Paul what is it what is it that got you to that place in life where you're able to say I'm ready there's no regrets though I'm sure there were regrets there's nothing that you know uh, he says whatever life has brought and whatever has been done he said at this point in my life I am ready to be offered I am ready to meet God I am ready to be judged I am ready to go to heaven What was it that brought him to that place? And in verse number 7, which is a famous verse in scripture, you find these three statements where he kind of gives us his objectives in life. What it is that he was trying to accomplish and why it is that he was able to get to the end of his life. Because of these objectives, he was able to clarify his operation. And because of these objectives, he was able to say, well, here's what I'm trying to accomplish with life. And here's what I'm trying to do. And because of those objectives, he was able to get to the end of his life and be able to say, I am ready. What are those? Like your notes, first of all, in 2 Timothy 4, look at verse 7. Just notice this first statement. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I'd encourage you to take notes if you don't have a baby sitting on your lap or something like that. On the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write notes. And if you're writing notes, I'd like you to write this statement down. To be, to be victorious, we must evaluate our fight. To be victorious, we must evaluate our fight. See, the Apostle Paul, he said, he, he said, I have fought, he said, I have fought a good fight. And I want you to understand in that verse, the word good is not describing the quality of the fighting. He's not saying, "I, when I fought, I fought well. The word good is not describing the quality of fighting. The word good is describing the value of the fight itself. And here's what I want you to understand. When Paul said, I have fought a good fight, he's not saying, I fought well in the fight. What he's saying is, I fought in the right fight. I fought in the good fight. I fought in the fight. And here's what you need to understand. Success in the Christian life. Because look, the Christian life is a series of fights. It's a series of battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, is what the Bible tells us. But here's what you need to understand. Success in the Christian life is not simply to fight for the sake of fighting. Success in the Christian life is to fight in the correct fight. To fight in the right fight. To fight in the good fight. See, if you're going to get to the end of your life and say, I have fought a good fight, you're going to have to evaluate the fights that you engage in. Because here's what you need to understand. We all engage in fights. We all engage in something... That we're trying to accomplish and be purposeful in life. You're there in uh, 2 Timothy 4. Keep your place there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. All right? We're going to be in 1 and 2 Timothy a lot tonight. So maybe just put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And look at 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I want you to notice what he says in verse 12. He said, I have fought a good fight. Notice what he says in 1 Timothy 6.12. Just to kind of help you with this idea that the word good is describing the fight, not the fighter. The word good is describing the fight, the value of the fight itself, not the fighting that was going on. Notice in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says this to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. So notice he's not telling him, be a good fighter. And I'm sure he wants them to be a good fighter. He talks about, you know, a soldier not entangling themselves in the affairs of this world that they might please him who has called them. So he wants them to be a good fighter, but I want you to notice the phrase good fight is not in reference to the fighting, but it's in reference to the fight. He says, fight, he's telling Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He said, I want you to fight in the right fight. I want you to fight in the right battle. And you say, what, what, what exactly is it that you're talking about? And here's what I want you to understand. Failure in life, is to fight well. Failure in life is to succeed in fighting. Failure in life is to be a victor in the fight, but you are fighting the wrong fight the whole time. you understand what I'm saying? Right. See, you will fail at life when you fight well in the wrong fight. When you're maybe even a victor in the wrong fight. You say, well, how do I know what's the right fight? How do I know What's the good fight? Well notice what he says in first Timothy 612. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Then he says this, lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called. Remember last week we were in Romans 8 and we learned about that phrase called. What does it mean to be called? It means to be summoned. That's talking about your salvation. He says, "Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses? Don't you have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? He's talking about salvation. I want you to notice what he says. He says, Fight the good fight of faith. And then Timothy, he, uh, almost Paul anticipating the question from Timothy, saying, Well, what's the good fight? What's the right fight? What's the correct fight? And then he says this, Lay hold on eternal life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the good fight is always a fight that has eternal, not temporal value. You say, how do I know that I'm in the right fight? You look at a fight and you say, does this fight, does this cause, does this thing, does it provide eternal value or does it provide temporal value? Is it a fight of this world or is it a fight of the next world? Let me give you one just real practical example just to kind of help you understand what I'm talking about. You're there in 1 Timothy 6. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We preach these verses a lot and I know you're familiar with them but let me, let me just give you an example to help you understand what it is that God is saying here. Fight the good fight. Success is not just to fight. You have to be in the good fight. Failure is not just to fight well. Failure is to fight well in the wrong fight. Are you there in 1 Timothy 5? Look at verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I will therefore... See the word will there? That's talking about, this is what God desires. This is Paul's desire. We understand, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul here is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he's speaking on behalf of God. This is God's will. He says, I will, therefore, that the younger women, he's saying, this is God's will. This is God's will for a younger woman, that the younger women marry, bear children, Guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. God's will on the authority of the word of God is for every young woman to marry, guide the house, bear children, and guide the house. In Titus, he calls them keepers at home. God's desire for women is that they would be stay-at-home wives, that they would be stay-at-home mothers. And you, you, some People often say to me, "Like, well, that's talking about the younger women. Alright, well, here's the problem with that. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 9, God defines a younger woman as 60 years old and younger. And an elder woman is 60 years old and, and up. And he defines that for us in 1 Timothy 5 9. That's really good news for some of you and not great news for the other ones. But here's the thing. If you, here's what I'm trying to say. If you're 59 years old or below, guess what God's will for your life is? To marry, build children, guide the house. And he's talking to widows. He's saying, Look, you're a widow, but you're 59 and below. His will is that you get married, bear children, guide the house. Once you get to 60, and you're a widow, look, go have fun, right? You don't have to find another husband. But God's will for your life is to marry, bear children, guide the house if you're 59 years old and below. He considers you a younger woman. That's God's will for your life. Now, here's what I'm just saying. Today, you have women that'll say, well, I'm, I'm just going to not stay home with my children. I'm going to not, you know, be a keeper at home. I'm going to not guide the house. And I'm going to go get myself a career. Now, listen to me. If you go and get yourself a job and you go and get yourself a career and let's say you do well, you get raises, you get promoted, you become the CEO of the company Other companies see how great you do and they hire you to be their CEO. All of a sudden, you're the governor. I mean, you're the governor of the state of California. All of a sudden, the whatever party is looking at you and they want you to run, and now you're running to be the president of the United States. Look, listen to me. If a woman from our church was to succeed out in the business world to the point where they were running, To be the first woman president of the United States of America. And let's say you are so good. You are so talented. You are so great. You win. You go down in history as the first female president of the United States of America. And you know what everybody would say about you? Everybody would say that is the most successful woman that has ever lived. To be the first female president of the United States of America, they would say, she is amazing, she is brilliant, she is successful. They would applaud you. And here's the thing, you would go down in history as a fighting, fighting the best entrepreneur, you know, woman's rights, woman's work, battle that has, you, you'd be the greatest woman warrior, but listen to me, your life will have been a failure because you may have fought well, but you fought in the wrong fight. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, well I'm the most successful CEO, I'm the governor of city governor, I'm the president, but listen, you're fighting well, yeah, in the wrong fight. That's right, so well, I'm the boss at work, yeah, you're fighting well, in the wrong fight. And it is failure, it is failure to say, well, I succeeded, but you fought. And not the good fight. You fought another fight. See, Paul said, Paul said, I'm able to come to the end of my life and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered the time of my departure at hand. Not because I was successful, but he said I was successful in the good fight, in the right fight, in the fight that God has called me to fight. You say, well, how do you know? How do you know what's the good fight? Well, lay hold on eternal life. I like to ask questions because sometimes questions clarify things for us. You got to ask yourself this question. Whenever you're trying to make a big decision in life, you got to ask yourself this question. How will this matter 10 years from now? How will this matter 10 years from now? How about this? How will this matter 100 years from now? What, what kind of impact will this have on my life or on the life of my family or on the life of my children or on the life of this community 10 years from now, 100 years from now? And does it impact eternity? See, it is failure to fight well in the wrong fight. And here's what you need to understand. Satan in the world would love nothing more than to keep you distracted. Succeeding, winning battles... And having victory in the wrong fight. In the fight that God never called you to fight. Go to Mark chapter number 4. you you You're there if you, Keep your place there in 2 Timothy. We're going to come back to it. But go, go to Mark chapter number 4. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark. And while you turn there, let me read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 35. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to singles. But he says this. He says, and this I speak for your own prophet. Not that I... Cast a snare upon you, before that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. See, God wants us to attend upon Him without distraction. God wants us to serve Him without distraction. And, and here's the thing, the devil would love nothing more than to just keep you distracted. And look, he doesn't need to keep you distracted down at the bar. He doesn't need you to keep you distracted down at the casino. He doesn't need to keep you distracted down uh, you know, somewhere where God would not. He, he doesn't care if you're doing something great as long as you're not doing what God has called you to do. He doesn't care if you're winning as long as you're fighting the wrong battle. And the only way to get to the end of your life and say, I'm ready. I I won. I was victorious. See, right now, you must clarify that win. Right now, there's a lot of distractions. You must be able to look at what is it that we're trying to accomplish. What is it that we define as victory? What is the fight that God has called you to fight? Are you there in Mark 4? Look at verse number 18. Mark chapter 4. In this passage, it gives us a list of things that distract us. Things that can pull us away from the things of God. Mark chapter 4 and verse 18. It's a parable, of course. He says, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and, but notice, they hear the word, but there's no effect. Just like, I get up and I preach, and obviously it's about salvation, but you can, you can get up and preach the word, and people will not hear it, will not take heed, will not listen to it, and usually, it falls under one of these categories. Notice what he says in verse 19. And, number one, the cares of this world. World. Number two, and the deceitfulness of riches; number three, and the loss of things entering, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. See, the devil would like nothing more than to distract you. And one of the distractions he gives us is the cares of this world. What are the cares of this world? They're just things that burden us or things that we care about in this world that have no eternal value. This is why, please listen to me, don't give your life, and I'm not against this, and I, you know, and, and to an extent, I, I do get involved in these things, but this is why at Verity Baptist Church, we don't give our time and energy to political reform. Well, we're just going to go pick it somewhere, or we're going to try to get this law. Look, sometimes there's laws that are important that we give time to, and we try to emphasize or whatever, but we're just not going to make that our ministry. We're just every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, it's just one more political sermon, one more political thing, one more political issue. You say, well, why? What's wrong with that? We're just focusing on the government, focusing on politics. What's wrong with that is that that is the cares of this world. Amen. And look... A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter. A hundred years from now, no one's going to care. And you say, well, yeah, well, the United States of America is Babylon. Therefore, it has impact. Then it's going to get destroyed. And who cares? And look, the cares of this world will... And and look, you say, are are, are they bad people that are often, you know, just caught up? They're not bad people, but I'll tell you this. Even if they succeed, they're succeeding in the wrong fight. It's not the good fight. See the good fight is a fight of faith. The good fight is the one that has eternal. How about social reform? Today you get Christians all wound up with, Well we gotta, you know, we gotta build a well in Africa. And look, I'm all for building wells in Africa. But we're not gonna make that our one issue. We got to build an orphanage in South America. We got to help people socially and, and and help people with jobs and help people with this. And look, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, let's help people and feed people and love people and let's make sure we're not you know uh, uh, just giving money to people so they can use, go use drugs. You know, let's make sure let's be smart about it. Let's like Leviticus teaches, make them work a little bit and help them out in that way. But look, you say, is there something wrong with social reform? No, there's nothing in the world wrong with social reform as long as you do it right. But here's the thing: if you make that your number one issue, I will Tell you, you'll get to the end of your life and you're going to look around and you're going to say, Nothing happened, nothing changed. Because you know what Jesus said, The poor you have with you always. Right. And you're going to say, Well, I gave my life to try to end poverty. And you're going to get to the end of your life and say, Wow, there's still poverty. You say, I gave my life to try to help the orphans. And you know what? You're going to look down at Africa and you're going to say, There's still orphans. Because here's the thing it's not that it's bad, it's just not the right fight. And from time to time, we should help. And from time to time, we should love. But you know, what the number one thing those Africans need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need, they need preaching from the word of God. See, when you look at a fight, you got to ask yourself, is there? am I laying hold on eternal life? Am I fighting in a cause that has eternal value? How about environmental reform? Now, I, go, I don't get involved in this one at all. All right? But I will tell you this. I don't think people should just go around and just throwing their trash on the floor. You know, it does bother me sometimes when I'm going through a drive-thru and I see people just, you know, literally just they get their food and then they just throw bags. out. It it just makes, it just makes, look, don't do that. It just shows that uh, uh, people that do that have a certain character, all right? And you don't want to be that guy. All right, you know, get your trash and put it in the trash can, all right? It's, it's not a good character trait to just throw your trash everywhere. So and look, I've never seen any of our church people do that, but just don't be that guy. And make sure you teach your children to pick up after themselves. And don't just throw bottles and canned Cokes or whatever out the window when you're going on the road. Look, it's just, it's not good character. People that do that are not good people. You say, prove it, all right? Go outside and go look at the homeless people. Right. Amen. You know what you'll find? A bunch of trash and filth everywhere. And those things go hand in hand. These people, I'm not saying they're homeless because they can't pick up after themselves, but I'll tell you this, it doesn't help. <laughs> all right? It's not good. So, look, I'm not into the environment and I don't care about the environment. God's going to destroy this earth and whatever. But let me say this. You know, there are things that I do care about and I think we should take it. Look, I don't think, you know, I don't think we need to kill all the whales or whatever. I, but, but here's the thing. If you give your life to that, you know what you're doing? You're giving your life to the cares of this world. You're giving your life to the things of this world and it's a distraction and you're going to get to the end of your life and say, I lost. Nothing happened. The whales are still dying. Notice what he says. Uh, Number one, we saw the cares of this world. But notice number two, he says the deceitfulness of riches. This one gets Christians a lot. Where they give their lives for money and financial gain. Uh, Go go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 6 just real quickly. 1 Timothy 6. While you turn there, let me read for you from Mark 8.36. Mark 8.36 says this. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You need to make sure that you're not giving your life to the deceitfulness of riches. And it's interesting that the Bible calls it deceitfulness of riches. And here's why it calls it deceitfulness of riches. Because you think, this is what you think. Well, as soon as I get that one house or as soon as I get that one vehicle, or as soon as I go on that one vacation, or as soon as I get that amount of money in the bank, or as soon as I get that one thing, then I'll be happy. But you know it's deceitful, because when you get that, you know it doesn't satisfy. You just want the next one. You're like, as soon as I get that one, you know, phone, or that one computer, or that one thing, but by the time you get it, they've got another one out. And then you're like, well, as soon as I get that one. And it's just the deceitfulness of riches. You're never satisfied. First Timothy 6, notice verse 7. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says this, For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Do you know that you can't take anything with you? Why give your life to possessions that are going to stay on this earth? That are not laying hold on eternal life. Notice what he says in verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. We need to learn to be satisfied. And look, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. I hope you have nice things. I hope that you have nice possessions. But here's the only warning I give you. Make sure that you have possessions and that possessions don't have you. Amen. Where you give your life to it and you've got to have it. Look, if you've got nothing but food and raiment, let us be there with content. Is what the Bible says. Amen. If all you've got is food and raiment, just be happy. Be satisfied. Notice what it says in verse 9. But they that will. You see that word will? It's talking about your desire, your will. But they that will be rich. One of the saddest statements I ever heard come from somebody's mouth is when they said to me, my goal in life is to be a millionaire. And it it just made me sad because I thought to myself, is that all your life is worth? A million dollars that are going to stay on this earth that you can't take with you? You know, and of course, months later, just completely backslidden out of of church. You say, well, why is that? Well, because the Bible says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee what things? The deceitfulness of riches. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And notice the context. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. And lay hold on eternal life. See, when you give your life to the deceitfulness of riches, if you give your life, listen to me very carefully, if you give your life to wealth, you will get to the end of your life. And you will say, even if you're successful, even if you're the millionaire, even if you're the richest man in America, you'll get to the end of your life and you'll say, I fought well in the wrong fight. Because what will the profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? And you say, well, I'm saved, so I'm not going to lose my own soul. Okay, what does the profit of man if he gained the whole world and loses children? Well, you understand, Pastor, you know, my wife has to go get that job because we have to live in a certain neighborhood and we have to have a certain, you know, vacation every year and we've got to drive certain vehicles. Hey, what does it profit if you gain the whole world, if you have all of that? And your kids end up hating you, end up not living for God, end up not loving the Lord because you neglected them. I'm just trying to help you understand that you can fight well in the wrong fight. And you get to the end of your life and you say, wow, wish I could do that again. The Apostle Paul said, I am now ready to be offered to the time of my departure He said, I'm ready to meet my maker because he said I fought the good fight. Notice the third thing he says there in Mark 4.19. He says the lust of other things entering in. You're there in 2 Timothy 6, look at 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, you're in 1 Timothy 6, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, the, the lust of other things entering in. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 10. Notice what he says. For demons hath forsaken me. Notice what he says. Having loved this present world. See the lust of things entering in will cause you to chase and fight and maybe even win in the wrong fight. So here's the question I have for you, mom, dad, teenager, parent, husband, wife. What does success look like for you? What does success look like for you in your walk with God? I mean, is is success really... I fought the good fight. Remember those two years I was really on fire for God and I spent the rest of my life backsliding. Is that success? I mean, what does success look like in your marriage? What does success look like with your children? What you, you know, you, and I'm not going to sit here, but you know, you would do well to just write yourself a mission statement or a goal statement for your children. What is it that you're trying to accomplish with those kids? Now, my wife and I have sat down and talked about this a lot, and we've talked about what are our goals for our children. I'll I'll share with you, our goal for our children is that they all are saved, and that they all get baptized, and that they all have a genuine walk with the Lord. My goal is that by the time they leave home, they don't say, well, I don't got to go to church anymore because now I don't have dad making me, but that they'll genuinely, out of their own personal walk with God, want to serve the Lord. Amen. Our goal is that they be competent and ready for the world as adults to be able to lead homes and lead families. Our goal is that they be able to provide for themselves. Those are our goals. So here's the thing. That objective clarifies a lot of things for us in our operations. Because when we say, well, here's our goal, our goal is that they serve God, that they love God, that they be competent, that they be able to provide for themselves, then when we have to make the decisions in the minutia of life, it helps us to clarify, because people say, well, you want to put your kids in, in, in peewee football, and we're like, well, that really has nothing to do with what we're trying to accomplish, you understand what I'm saying? You want to put your kids in the public school system? Well, we want them to be competent, so uh, probably No. You know, do you, what, what do you want to do with your kids? Look, when you understand what the right fight is, it'll help you. When you understand what the objective is, it'll clarify the operations for you. What's your goal with your marriage, your children, your health, your finances? Paul was able to get to the end of his life because he was able to say this. To be victorious, he understood this thing that we must evaluate our fights. What are you engaged in? What is it that you're fighting in? What is it that you're actively investing time and energy and effort into and is it something that will help you get to the end of your life and say, I am ready. I am ready. I'd like you to notice secondly this evening, the first thing we saw is that to be victorious, we must evaluate our fight. Go, go back to Second Timothy chapter 4. The second thing I'd like you to notice is that to be victorious, we must endeavor to finish. To be victorious, we must not only evaluate our fight, but to be victorious we must also endeavor to finish the fight. Notice what the apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. He he emphasizes the fight, but I want you to notice he also emphasizes the finish. He says, I have fought the good fight, and then he says this, I have finished my course. See, to get to the end of your life and to be able to say, I am ready, I'm ready, I've accomplished what God has called me to do. You not only want to say, I invested my time and energy and effort into the right fight, you also want to be able to say, and I finished. I finished. I finished what God called me to do. Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ say on the cross, it is finished? What was he saying? He said, I've accomplished what I came here to do. He said, I, I, I finished the work that God has given me. And look, you need to get to the end of your life and say, I have finished my course. And look, your course is different than my course. But whatever that course is, whatever that fight is, you need to be able to get to the end and say, I finished there. Amen. I got to the end. Can you get back to, you're there in 2 Timothy 4, 7. We'll go back to verse number 10. See, Demas loved this present world. But because of it, he never got to say he finished. Notice. Verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, notice these words, and is departed unto Thessalonica. See, it's not enough to fight the right fight. You got to finish the fight. It's not enough to get engaged in the right fight. You got you to finish what God has called you to do. You're there in 2 Timothy. Go to Hebrews just real quickly. Hebrews chapter number 11. You got 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Do me a favor. When you get to Hebrews, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So you should have your place in 2 Timothy and in Hebrews. While you turn there, let me read for to you from Luke 9.62. Luke 9.62 says this. And Jesus said unto him, No man... Having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, what is that talking about? God is saying, look, I can't use you in my kingdom. You're not fit. I remember when I was joining the Air Force, you have to pass a fitness test. You know, you have to be able to do a certain amount of push-ups, a certain amount of pull-ups, a certain amount of sit-ups. You have to, you know, weigh a certain amount and, and, and you have to have, you know, your waist have to be a certain uh, 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 measurement or whatever. And, and if you didn't meet that, You just weren't fit for the United States Air Force. And God says, look, there's a disqualifier in the kingdom of God. We're not talking about salvation here. The kingdom of God is referring to, we are supposed to be working in the kingdom of God. We are supposed to be uh, proponents and ambassadors in that kingdom. But he says, look, if you put your hand to the plow, if you say, I'm going to enlist, if you say, I'm going to get on board, I'm going to get to work, I'm going to do something, and then you look back, God says, you don't have what it takes. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. And it has to do with your look. It has to do with your mind. Are you there in Hebrews 11? Look at verse 15. Notice what he says. Hebrews 11 and verse 15. Hebrews eleven fifteen. 15. And truly, if they had been mindful. And truly, if they had been mindful. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, you got to underline those words. If they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out they might have had opportunity to have returned. Listen to me. Everyone that quits on God is because they start getting their thoughts and their eyes on the things that could have been. I could have that. I could go there. The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then it says this, and bringing into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. That's why you need to be careful with Facebook. And I'm not look. I, I know I, I get on Facebook too much, but you need to be careful about looking up my old high school, whatever. And I understand. Look, you're looking up your old high school friend, and you know you're a female, and she's a female. Great, but be careful about. Well, my. What, I wonder how my old high school sweetheart's doing. You know, don't don't be mindful of the world you came out of. Don't be looking back and thinking, well, you know, if I if I would have done this and if I would have done that, look, you're, you're getting ready to quit. What you're getting ready to do. We must endeavor to finish. We must endeavor to actually look, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything if you enlist in the right fight and you don't finish the fight. It doesn't mean anything if you get in the right fight and you're faithfully serving for two years or three years and then you quit. The only way to get to the end and say, I was victorious, I was a winner, is to be able to evaluate your fight, but also to endeavor to finish. Go back to 2 Timothy 4, look at verse 7. Let me give you the last one, we'll be done tonight. Number one, to be victorious, we must endeavor, we must evaluate our fight. To be victorious, we must evaluate our fight. You need to evaluate, what am I engaged in? What is it that I'm giving my life to? What is it that I'm investing time and energy and resources into? And is that the fight that God would have me? Is that the good fight? Number two, we must endeavor to finish the fight. We must not quit. Must keep going. Must make sure that we don't get distracted. That we don't start looking back and being mindful of the things of this world. But lastly tonight, I'd like you to notice, to be victorious, we must establish our faith. To be victorious, we must establish our faith. There are three things that he mentions in this verse. He says, I have fought a good fight. He mentions the fight. He says, I finished my course. He mentions finishing. And then thirdly, he mentions the faith. He says, I have kept. See the word kept there? It means to protect. I've kept the faith. I protected the faith. Go to Ephesians chapter number 4. I know you know these verses. Let's just look at them quickly. We'll be done. Ephesians chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what I want you to understand. It does not matter. It does not matter if you finish, but you finish and not have kept the faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jerry Falwell, as far as God is concerned, died as a failure. You say, why? Well, Jerry Falwell, as far as I know, started off as an independent fundamental Baptist. King James, soul winning, preaching, as far as I know, the right gospel and preaching pretty hard on sin. But you know, that's not how he ended his life. You know how he ended his life? As a liberal. You know how he ended his life? As a liberal, with weak standards, not preaching against sin, overly concerned with politics, trying to start a new political movement called the majority, uh, the, the moral majority. And you say, yeah, but he finished. He finished the course. But you know, the problem is, he finished differently than he started. And in your life and in my life, we need to make sure that we understand. What defines victory is not just that you finish, but that you finish the same. See, Paul said, I not only fought the right fight. He said, I not only finished the course. He said, when I finished, I was still in the same faith. I kept the faith. He said, I hadn't changed. Are there in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 14. Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. See, the Apostle Paul is saying here, you want to be careful that you're not tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Here's what he's saying. Be careful about being given to change. Go to Hebrews chapter number 13. If you get your place in Hebrews 11, just a couple of chapters over, you got Hebrews 13. While you go there, let me uh, read for you from Proverbs 24 and verse 21. Proverbs 24 and 21 says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King and meddle not with them that are given to change. Hebrews chapter number 13. In verse number 8, notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Notice the context. In verse 8 he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice Jesus doesn't change. Amen. And if Jesus doesn't change, we don't need to change either. I know what they say about us. Oh, You guys are just, you're, you're this old-fashioned, I mean, you think the Sodomites, don't you know everybody loves the Sodomites? Look, Jesus didn't change his opinion. Amen. And we don't need to change ours. And you get up and you preach about women staying home, are like, Pastor, don't you know most women today are going off to work. Hey, Jesus didn't change his opinion. I'm not going to change mine. Amen. You know, God has called us to believe certain things. God has called us to preach certain things. And you need to be careful to not be carried about with every wind of doctrine. Amen. Hebrews 13 and verse 9, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice verse 9, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it, is good, for it is a good thing that the heart, notice these two words, be established with grace. I grow weary of hearing about people and families that are changing. I, hear of a young, I know of a young man who, you know, bless God, you know, when we get married, my wife's going to stay home. My wife's going to, you know, we're going to have children. We're going to homeschool. Then you hear about, you know, the wife is in college getting her degree. I think to myself, why the change? You may finish, but you haven't kept the faith. You know, bless God, you know, in our home, the, the, my, the, the women in my home are going to wear skirts and dresses and we're, we're going to follow what the Bible says. And then a few years later, they're wearing pants. You say, do you, are you mad at people? I'm not mad. I'm just saying, why don't you keep the faith? Why don't you just decide that you're going to establish where you stand, establish what you believe. You got people saying, I'm King James only. A few years later, well, you know, hear about them going to a new King James church. Going to an NIV church. You want to ask, well, what happened? Because here's the thing success is not just finishing, the, success is finishing the same. Finishing and keeping the faith. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. You know them, and I know them. You see the people, and it's just like they can't just settle down, they can't just take root somewhere. They're just like children being tossed to and fro. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you're going to win in the Christian life, you're going to have to get established. You're going to have to settle some convictions. You're going to have to figure out what is it that we believe and then decide not to change. Paul said, I haven't changed. In all the years, he said, I've kept the faith. He said, I've earnestly contended for the faith, Jude said. But he said, I kept the faith. I maintained my belief system. I protected my belief system. And I didn't change. Now listen to me. We change when we're wrong. If someone proves to you from the Bible that you're wrong about something, you know, you believe the pre-tribulation rapture and then all of a sudden someone shows you a DVD and you're like, whoa, I was wrong about that. You always side with the Word of God. But look, once you realize what the Bible teaches, what the Bible clearly teaches, then you just settle that thing in your heart and you don't move it. It's not up for debate. You don't have to, well, let me watch another video. I know the Bible clearly teaches the Trinity, but let me go watch this oneness video. No. First Peter 5 and verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you... Notice these three words. People ask me, why do you alliterate everything? Well, God, God likes to alliterate. Notice what He says. Establish, strengthen, settle you. He said, hey, the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after they have suffered a while make you perfect, make you complete, make you whole. You say, how's he going to do that? By establish, strengthen, settle you. In your life and in my life, we need to be that type of Christian that just kind of gets established somewhere. And you get strengthened. And you settle down. You say, here's where I stand. Here's what I believe. Here's where I am going to live. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how do you define victory? How do you get to the end of your life and you say, I'm ready? There's regrets along the way. There's battles along the way. There's things we could have done better. Look, all of us are going to have that. The Apostle Paul had that. He, the Apostle Paul talked about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So in your life and in my life, there's going to be regrets and things we look back on and say, man, I wish I could have, you know, redo that. Or man, I wish I didn't have that in my past. But the Apostle Paul, even with that, got to the end of his life. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready. Notice what he says in verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He just got done telling us, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept my faith. Then he says this, henceforth. The word henceforth is a connecting word. Henceforth means, because of this reason. Because of what reason? Because of the fact that I evaluated the fights that I was involved in. And I made sure that I was in a good fight, in the right fight, in the correct fight. Because of the fact that I endeavored, not just to start, but to finish. Because of the fact that I established my faith, I kept the faith, I protected the faith, I didn't change. He says, because of that, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, knows this word, judge, shall give me at that day. At what day? At the day of judgment. See, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We must live our lives with judgment in view. We must live our lives. With the realization that you and I, we're going to stand at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about it this morning. And look, I don't believe, and some Baptists teach, and I don't believe this, that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and God's going to bring down this big screen. He's going to show you all your sins. He's going to say, explain that one to me. And explain that one, right? I grew up in churches that taught that stuff, and that's a bunch of junk. Okay? Once you, you know, your sins are gone once you've been saved. As far as the east is from the west, okay? But you know what God will judge us for? We talked about it this morning. For the work. And God's going to look at you and say, I gave you these children. What did you do with them? I gave you this spouse. How did you do in that marriage? I gave you this church. How did you work? What did you do? What did you accomplish? See, some of you are going to get to, God's going to say, I gave you this marriage. Did you work at it? Well, no, just when it got hard, I just went and got another one. Some of you are going to, God's going to say, I gave you these children. Did you work at it? And say, no, I actually went and worked somewhere else. You know, God's going to say, well, I gave you this job. I gave you this church. Did you work at it? No, I just kind of showed up every once in a while. I wasn't that faithful. Look, God is going to judge you for your work. And Paul said, because I defined victory, because I clarified a victory, I was able to get to the end of my life and say, I am ready to be judged. And then he says, and not to me only, but unto all of them. He says, but unto all them also that love. Is appearing. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 39, verse 4, the Bible says this Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. See, Allah. You understand that you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of time with that spouse. Some I mean, of you are like, well, I don't think I'm don't thinking of getting divorced. You don't have that much time. Just, you know, live it out. <laughs> just get to the end and say, I finished. And I even kept this one. I kept the faith. You know, you, you say, oh, but Pastor, you don't understand. We, these kids, you don't have that much time with those kids. Why don't you just invest in them and love them and give them your time and your energy and, and, and give yourself to them. You say, well, uh, you want us to show up for soul winning and you want us to go to this. Look, we don't have that much time. The time of our departure is at hand. So how do you define victory? How do you look at victory and how will you live your life so that you can get to the end of your life and say, I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand? Because here's the thing, objectives clarify operations. And when you figure out what it is that you're trying to accomplish, that'll clarify for you what it is that you should be doing. Let's bow our heads and I will pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Think of these short verses that the Apostle Paul gives us. A great success in life. I'm sure the Apostle Paul, because of his talent, his abilities, his education, I'm sure there was lots of things he could have spent his life on. But we have a great testimony where he gets to the end of his life and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us in this room to just begin to define what victory looks like in our lives. And what is it exactly that we're trying to accomplish? And Lord, make sure we don't get distracted. Help us to not get distracted in the wrong fight. Help us not to succeed in the wrong battle. Help us not to start, but then quit, not finish. And Father, I pray that you'd help us when we finish that we'll finish the same, that we'll be able to say that we've kept the faith. Thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.